Welcome to God in the Ordinary, a podcast to help you reveal God to others during your everyday. Special guests share their stories with songwriter and author Sharon Tedford. Today's guest is CEO of a successful online multimedia business. His influence spans many platforms and he's highly respected internationally. Recently, God stepped in when the busyness of life caught up with him. My guest, author media founder, Thomas Umstadt Jr. Thomas Umstead Jr., what an absolute delight to be able to chat with you today. Thank you so much for joining us today on God in the Ordinary. Thank you, Sharon. I'm happy to be here. Tell everybody where you are. We have guests from all over the world. And actually, you're not that far from me. Tell everyone where you are. Yeah, I live in Cedar Park, Texas, which is just outside of Austin, Texas. So we generally share weather, don't we? Sometimes we talk here about the weather because people come from everywhere. But I think we're kind of sharing it. It's true. You're a little bit north of us, so you don't get it quite as hot, but the big weather fronts tend to hit us both. You get it first, and then we get it after you. You're welcome. We like to share. (laughs) (laughs) So, Thomas, as you know, here on God in the Ordinary, we absolutely love the scripture, Isaiah 61. That whole chapter has been impactful for us here, and we love it when our guests share a reflection on Isaiah 61. Do you think you could do that for us, please? I'd be happy to. To be honest, I was a bit taken aback when I was asked to write a reflection about Isaiah 61. I found Isaiah to be a hard book to understand because I have a hard time figuring out the pronouns. When is God speaking? When is it Isaiah? When it says, I, who is that? And when is he talking to the Israelites? And when is he talking to us? When he says, you, who is he talking to? But of all of Isaiah, Isaiah 61 is special. To tell you why, I need to tell you about when Jesus read this passage. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, and he said in red letters, The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Boom. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine hearing Jesus declare this scripture fulfilled. But here's the crazy part. Of all the places in the world where he made this announcement, he did it in Nazareth. Jesus is from Nazareth. This is his hometown. He grew up with these people. They all know him. And of all the people in all the world, the ones the least likely to believe him were sitting in that room. In fact, they didn't believe him. And after Jesus explains that he really meant what he said, they get so angry, they try to push him off a cliff. Now, his time had not yet come, and he slips through the crowd. But if the listeners of this podcast tried to kill me after hearing it, I would not consider this to be a successful interview. (laughs) So when looking at this passage, we can change the meaning of the word success, or we can realize just how much faith Jesus had. Sometimes God calls us to do difficult things. And if we're obedient, it doesn't mean 
things will turn out the way we think. We plan, we water, but God brings the increase. He sees the whole picture. We just see our little piece of the picture. While all sin is failure, not all failure is sin. Many of the prophets failed to convince their audience the truth of their words. Jesus was no different. Now, while failure is not sin, it is temptation to sin. And Jesus was tempted in all ways and yet did not sin. So why? Why on earth did God have Jesus make his Isaiah 61 declaration in front of this audience of all the people? Why them? Well, I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, it was a test. You don't know if you have the faith to do something scary until you do something scary. But also, I think God wanted Jesus to know that his love for Jesus was not dependent on how people responded. Right? You don't know that God loves you when you fail until you fail and God loves you. And it was this experience, potentially, that helped grow Jesus's faith. Doing this scary thing and experiencing the love of God gave him the faith to do even scarier things. Because there would come a time when people would gather to kill him, and he wouldn't slip through the crowd. And presenting this passage about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him, this passage from Isaiah 61, was very costly to Jesus, and yet so important that he declared it to those people. Thank you for sharing that with us, Thomas. It's interesting to hear it from the point of view of the New Testament. So let's start with this. I know that when you were young, somebody told you that you were destined for great things. And now that you're older and you've moved on from being young, do you think things maybe didn't all go as you planned? You just talked about what success might look like. Does success look like what you thought it would look like? Yeah, growing up as a millennial, especially as a millennial Christian, I heard from countless adults, you know, we've messed up the world and you need to fix it. <laughs> there was this big expectation that we needed to change the world, we needed to do uh, these big things. And, and we really believed, uh, at least I really believed, and I know many other millennials did, that we were the chosen ones. We were going to bring uh, righteous change to the world. That's not working out so well. <laughs> I don't think we're making things any better as a whole. Not to say that, you know, Millennials are doing bad things all the time, right? I, I think we're just as fallen as any previous generation, but we're no more special than any previous generation, except perhaps that we thought that we were, especially here in the States, very high self-esteem. I'm going to fix the world. And, you know, I definitely believe that. And I, I worked really hard in college, right? I was sharing the gospel. I was preaching the gospel. We even did street preaching here in Austin, Texas. We'd get up on the street corner or at a park and uh, present the gospel to anybody who would walk by and very zealous in my pursuit of evangelism and pursuit of the kingdom. And that was a real formative time. And it helped me learn a lot about God. It helped me learn a lot about myself. But it didn't bring about a revival, <laughs> right? There wasn't some big move of thousands of people becoming Christians, uh, right? We plant, we water, but it's God who brings the increase. And sometimes that increase doesn't come, right? Sometimes you live your whole life and die, and it's not for a thousand years somebody's reading your scroll, and they're like, hey, this Isaiah guy, he actually had something to say. <laughs> like, and people may not have listened to him at the time, but people definitely are listening to him now. Yeah, that's true. Do you think there's a modern-day equivalent of street preaching? Something that we do differently now? I, I actually think street preaching still works. You see it in many big moves of God around history and around the world, proclaiming the gospel outside of the walls of the church to whoever will gather 
uh, to come and hear it. The big challenge of sharing the gospel in the States, and I think in a lot of the Western world, is how closed our social circles are. There's not a lot of opportunities to talk with strangers about things of substance. There's a lot of cultural taboos around it, and there's a lot of uh, cultural hesitancy around having those conversations. And that cultural taboo is something that's hard to get past to have a a deep conversation with somebody. But to have scalable, reproducible evangelism, uh, you got to find a way past it somehow. Because waiting 20 years to have that conversation (laughs) doesn't scale very well. But I think another way to do it is online, right? I think a lot of people think that online is the solution. But I don't know. There's something about Christianity that makes being in person really important, right? You see this concept of laying on hands all throughout the Bible. You know, we're about to install a new pastor at my church. And a big part of that's going to be laying hands on him, right? We couldn't do that online. Why not? I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know why laying hands on somebody is so spiritually powerful, but I do know that it is spiritually powerful. (laughs) There's something about that physical connection that does something in the spiritual world, in the unseen world. So how can we open our social circles? What can we do for that? How do we get them bigger? I remember I was uh, doing some mission work in Russia. While I was there, the church that I was going to had a guest preacher who answered this question. And uh, he had been uh, planting churches all over St. Petersburg. And he was like, I want to share with you the secret of church planting. You know, somebody's translating for me because I don't speak Russian. And he said, chai. (laughs) And everyone's like, (laughs) and I'm really like that. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So chai is a Russian word for tea. And uh, when I first got to Russia, I was like, okay, tea, we drink it. Somebody invite me for tea. Like, oh, I'm not thirsty. I don't want tea. And they'd be offended. And I didn't realize tea in Russia has nothing to do with drinking caffeinated beverage. It's it's not about the tea. (laughs) When somebody asks you over for tea or says, hey, do you want to get tea? What they're really saying is, do you want to talk? And the tea kind of um, measures the conversation, right? If you're enjoying the conversation, you'll have more tea, and you just keep drinking tea. Interestingly, they buy their tea from England. <laughs> so it's like English well, tea. Well, I'm not you surprised. Get yeah, so <laughs> they have good taste in tea. I finally switched to English tea myself. <laughs> Uh, But he goes on to share all of these stories of just inviting people over for tea and talking to them. And then he starts talking about all of these times when Jesus went to parties. Like he went to a lot of parties. And what he was basically encouraging that church to do was to host more parties and to be the one throwing the parties. And when throwing the parties, don't just invite your friends, invite whoever, right? Go to the highways and the byways and grab anyone who will come. And, you know, that may mean people with lower social status than you. And that's okay, because those people are are just as important uh, to the kingdom, just as important to God as, as anyone else, and more likely to say yes. The more social status somebody has, uh, the less likely they are to accept a track if you're handing them a gospel track, the less likely they are to accept an invitation to a party, and the less likely they are to come with you to church. You heard it here, folks. You need to throw a tea party with English tea. That's how we spread the gospel. (laughs) I knew I liked you, Thomas. I knew it. (laughs) There's a good reason for that. You mentioned then about sharing the gospel in Russia. What sort of things did you do to share the gospel? And can we do that same sort of thing in the countries that we call home, wherever that is, whoever's listening? Yeah, so my time in Russia uh, was not me sharing the gospel. It was way less glamorous than that. I was working with a nonprofit that worked with orphans, and I was working with them on their technology. So I was behind the scenes for a ministry that served behind the scenes. I was so far away from doing any of the you know, glorious work 
uh, that, you know, I Can I, I stop you for a second? Yeah. Because here on God in the Ordinary, we say that is sharing the gospel because how could they have moved forwards without you doing that technology? What were you doing with that technology that was so important to them? I was working on their website uh, to help them communicate better with donors, uh, help raise money better to help communicate better with the people that they were working with. I was doing a lot of just IT work, helping the computers work better. That's so great. Yeah, really basic kind of blocking and tackling, basically trying to be an amplifier for the team there, um, bringing my technical skills. And it was interesting doing a website in Russian because uh, Russia has a different alphabet. So I couldn't even type Russian characters on my keyboard. <laughs> They have keyboards there that can toggle back and forth, but I, I didn't have that kind of keyboard on my computer, so I had to work with a, a native Russian speaker. Brilliant. You just said, really helpful phrase, being an amplifier for the gospel. And that's what we can all do, no matter what it is, being an amplifier for the gospel. If you're feeding your toddler at home and teaching them to say thank you for their food, you're being an amplifier for the gospel. If you're being just what Thomas did, fixing a computer, you're being an amplifier for the gospel. They couldn't have shared anything without Thomas's help. So that actually was a really important part of that ministry that you did. So thanks for doing that. I would encourage you to see that what you did then was really important and actually pretty glamorous because, you know, people came to the kingdom for that. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. IT work being glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> there are some people who are agreeing. Some of us are like, yeah. So why were you doing IT work, Thomas? That's not what you do today. Where did you come from to get to fixing computers? I had gone through a very painful courtship. I had bought into the courtship prosperity gospel that if you did dating and relationships just the right way, that God would bless you with a happy marriage. And so, you know, I ran the website Practical Courtship. I was Mr. Courtship and I was in a courtship and it did not go well. <laughs> it was the most painful experience of my life, the most crushing rejection from the father of this young woman that I was pursuing. And I was so hurt and so confused. I hadn't yet sorted through my thoughts. And you know, a book came later and lots of things came later, but I hadn't figured out any of that. I just needed to get out. And I had an open invitation from a missionary. It's like, hey, anytime you want to come to Russia and help us out, we'd love to have you. And so I just reached out to him. I was like, yeah, is that invitation still open? <laughs> he was like, sure, you can come stay with us. And so I, I didn't go to Russia on a mission per se, I went there because I was running away from something. I was running away from this painful experience. And so I, I spent the full time of a tourist visa in Russia, 30 days, uh, you know, just serving <laughs> behind the scenes. And it was it was really impactful for me. I, I learned a lot and it was really good to not spend that month wallowing in self-pity, which is definitely what I would have done if I had stayed in the States. But they kept me very busy in Russia. And coming back from Russia, I didn't actually come straight to the States. I did a little bit of tech work in Scotland for a church there. But then I went straight to a, a writer's conference. And it was at that writer's conference that I gave my first ever talk. There was a spontaneous invitation for anyone who wanted to give a, a talk. So I gave a talk on Twitter. And they liked it so much, they invited me back. And that's what started my whole career of working with authors. <laughs> was all on that, the heels of that trip. Isn't that a great story that you were running away, but God still used it? That you said, you know, you were running away, but it led to service. That's great, too. That is a great way to reveal God by serving others. And that's just what you did, revealing God through your service. But actually, because he's so amazing, he also revealed himself to you. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. And being a part of that church in Russia was really eye-opening because it was a very different kind of church than the kind I went to in the States. You know, Russians are, are very different, and this church was very different. And it was... Uh, 
it was really eye-opening to learn about God in that way and to, to experience his love in that faraway place, right? Jonah learned you can run away from God, but you're not going to actually get any farther from him. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, just as near, uh, you know, on a boat in the middle of the ocean as you are back home. Very, very true. Thank you for sharing that story with us. I'd like to talk a little bit about something that you shared so openly at a conference that I was at. And actually, you have shared part of this story on your own podcast, which we will link at the end, that you were recently completely overwhelmed and you found yourself not being able to get out of bed. So I'd love to know how you are now. How did that move from being stuck in bed because of the extreme overwhelm to now moving forwards with God, hearing him, chatting with him, experiencing him? How did you go from A to B? Yeah, so to connect the stories real quick, I spoke at that conference and it led to speaking opportunities and it led to a business that I was running, building websites for authors and a podcast for authors, novel marketing podcasts, and then I became a literary agent. Basically, I kept getting all of these opportunities and I just said yes to every opportunity. Oh, there's an open door, obviously. If God has opened a door, he wants me to walk through it, which is terrible theology. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes God calls us to walk through closed doors, right? The fact that Canaan was full of giants with walls, with gates that were closed, didn't get the Israelites off the hook for not going into Canaan, right? He's like, no, you have to believe in me more than you believe in these closed doors that are in front of you. And um, Paul, at one point, had an open door. um, I forget which town it was. But he didn't go there because he said he didn't have a piece about it because Titus wasn't with him. So there's one instance of Paul specifically not walking through an open door. But I didn't have the wisdom of Paul. <laughs> I was like, yay, open door. I'll, I'll accept all of the commitments. And so I finally created a list of all of my commitments. I had like 19 different roles, responsibilities, and commitments. Anyway, I had I, God led me into a season of pruning, which was a really painful season of cutting uh, those commitments, right? Saying no to things. Uh, one of the things my business had done was we had created these plugins for authors that helped them with their websites. And these were like my babies, like almost my inventions, you could say. They, they were my idea, that I, and I worked with developers to bring them out, and I was the one who marketed them and connected them with authors, and I had to sell those. <laughs> and basically to whoever would take them and let that whole, you know, side of my business go. And, and I had to step down from being a literary agent and had to step down from being on the board of directors for several nonprofits that I was a part of. And really, it was a, a painful season. And it was also a scary season. And to sell those meant that I was no longer getting the same money from those plugins that I was getting. I, I'm the sole breadwinner for my family. At the time, I had a baby and a baby on the way. Now we have two with a third one on the way. And they're all under the age of three right now. <laughs> so my wife has her hands full chasing little ones. And so cutting off sources of income were really scary. And that's kind of how pruning is too, right? It's easy to prune a dead limb off a tree, right? That doesn't require any faith. But cutting a healthy limb off of a tree, which is really, frankly, what pruning is, right? (laughs) Taking dead limbs off, that's just maintenance. (laughs) But pruning means you're cutting healthy limbs and all of the energy that was going in to that limb is now being redirected into other parts of the tree. And I had to trust that God was going to bring about fruit in the and the remaining branches. It was a difficult year. And I'd like to say that, you know, that was the only day I wasn't able to get out of bed, but really struggling with that, right? It wasn't like a 
oh, now I've decided to start pruning and all my troubles have gone away. It's like, no, I had all the troubles I had before and now the pain of pruning. <laughs> it's like now the pain of getting these things off and trying to find um, good homes for these responsibilities, right? Because I didn't want to shirk my responsibilities. So I'm running a group. I don't want to just abandon it. I want to make sure that it's, you know, put in good hands and... So all of that was, it was basically it added a new, at least in the short term, it added a new job, right? So I went from having 19 responsibilities, now 20, and the 20th one is pruning. <laughs> so it was a difficult season. It was a, it was a painful season, uh, but God was with me in that pain. He didn't make the pain go away, and he didn't make it easy, uh, but he was, he was with us during that time, and I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Can you remember how you experienced God in the middle of that pain? That's interesting. Maybe a sense of nearness. Looking back, I, I can see that he was holding me. But in terms of like practical things, uh, it's hard to put my finger on anything specifically, although the money did work out. <laughs> so it's like right, he did good. provide. <laughs> but it, but it wasn't any one big thing. It was a it was a bunch of of little things, you know, giving me wisdom on on who to, you know, who to sell the plugins to and the courage to step down from being an agent and yeah, I, I guess it was in helping me to make those decisions and then uh, providing for me as I was doing it. And also, I think a lot through my wife. Uh, she was really encouraging and supportive in this season. You know, it was no shock to her that I was overcommitted. <laughs> and so working through her and through my family, I think, is another way that God sh showed me his love. Thank you for sharing that. I know that was a painful time. And I'm sure that there are people who are listening today who've experienced that, but also people who are serving and loving others who are in that position, just like your wife served you. So from a point of view of the server, for want of a better word, what advice would you give them? What can carers and supporters do to bring hope when a situation feels and looks empty and difficult? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't get your wife. Yeah, uh, you're asking the wrong person. Um, I guess if I were to give any motivation, it would be to be motivated out of love, but also to be loyal to the truth. Because it's, I think it's easy when we're in a difficult situation to lie to ourselves or to join in the lie uh, someone is telling themselves. So you're a caregiver and somebody's um, struggling with something. And they're in denial. You don't join their denial. That's not ultimately loving, and it's and it's abandoning truth. So you, so you have to still be loyal to the truth in that caregiving, while also motivated by love. And um, you know, I think that looks different for each situation, right? Somebody struggling with alcoholism, it's very different than if somebody's struggling with depression. But the love is the same, and the truth is the same. It's just what parts of the truth people are abandoning may be different. It's funny that you said, I don't know, because you totally know. So thank you for sharing that. Yes, being loyal to the truth in love. You're listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Thomas Amstadt Jr. We're going to talk a little bit more about your tech side, if you don't mind, Thomas. I think I'm right in saying that you started building websites at around age 13. So I think you must have come across a lot of people doing that role over the years. Were you ever able to share your faith in that sphere? And if so, how did you do that? Um, I've always been very public about my faith online. Even now, if we go to my Twitter bio, it will say Christ follower. And uh, the one instance I can... Uh, say it wasn't something that i did but um, a friend of mine was the son of cambodian uh, refugees 
His parents fled the killing fields in Cambodia under the Khmer Rouge. And they got here somehow, and they were so traumatized by that experience that they just stayed at home, and they went to work, and they went to school, but they didn't really interact with anyone at school, the children. Uh, the parents were so fearful uh, because of this just unbelievably terrible experience. Nobody really talks about the killing fields in Cambodia, but they were really bad. <laughs> they were really, really bad. So there he is with basically no contact with the outside world, really. And he's in a, a message board and somebody starts to tell him about Jesus. And he comes to believe Jesus through this interaction with this stranger on the internet. And then the stranger goes off to summer camp. <laughs> another young person. So there he is believing in God, but with no, doesn't know a single Christian. So he goes on Amazon and buys a Bible and reads it start to finish uh, over that summer and starts learning about God and uh, learning about what it means to be a Christian and eventually goes to a Christian university and he was my roommate. <laughs> so when we would go share the gospel, this guy would be there with me uh, sharing the gospel. And now he's uh, serving his family and uh, some of his family have come to believe and the healing and freedom that he's experienced through Christ, he's bringing back into this very traumatized family and trying to be a, a source of strength for them. And uh, it wouldn't have happened if someone hadn't have gone to where he was in the digital world and touched him there. So this is perhaps the answer to what I was talking about. Like online, like you can have a, a connection with somebody online. It may not be as powerful as physically touching them, but there's still power there. And the Ray Comfort has a saying, he says, the power is in the seed, not the sower. So the, the power is in the gospel itself, right? The, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And it doesn't matter how somebody hears the gospel, right? They can hear it over the radio, they can hear it over the television, they can hear it over the internet, and the power is in the gospel itself. And I don't have any you know, dramatic stories of me sharing the gospel uh, with anyone, but I have used the internet to advance ideas. Um, so, for instance, that um, going back, you know, I had that painful courtship. My eyes were starting to be opened to this gospel that was not a true gospel. <laughs> the gospel of Job's friends. <laughs> it was a bad gospel. <laughs> but I didn't have eyes to see it, right? It's easy to see it for money, right? It's like, oh, if, you, if you're a good Christian, God's going to give you lots of money. It's like, eh, there are poor Christians that are very virtuous. But this was for relationships, and I, I didn't see it. But eventually my eyes were opened. And I wrote a blog post because I wanted to go on dates. I wanted to get married. <laughs> and But I had been Mr. Courtship. I'd been doing it the specific way. And so I wrote a blog post with the goal of being able to go on dates without young women hearing my invitation to get coffee as a marriage proposal. Because one of the core tenets of courtship <laughs> is that everything has to be for the purpose of marriage. It's the subtext, right? So you're like, hey, would you like to get coffee for the purpose of marriage? Right? It's not unsaid, but you're both hearing it. And no one ever says yes to that, right? It's like, I don't know you. I don't want to get coffee for the purpose of marriage. I just want to get to know you. So I wrote this blog post. I worked really hard on it. I uh, got a lot of feedback from my community because I'd already started talking about how my mind was changing. And I post the blog post and share it with my friends because my goal was if I can get 10,000 people to read this blog post, I will no longer be seen as, as Mr. Courtship. And I want to say by that night, it had already gotten 10,000 views, maybe 20,000 views. And then the next day it got tens of thousands more views and all these comments started flooding in and all this controversy started. Some people agreed, some people didn't agree. And one day it got a hundred thousand views in one day. 
people were just hammering this blog post from all over the world. I had views eventually from every country except for North Korea, which I'm pretty sure has blocked my personal blog is way too Christian for them. <laughs> and it reached over a million people over about a month's period. And eventually the whole conversation around courtship has changed. I wrote a book about it at the request of the folks who are reading the blog post and leaving comments. And most of the advocates of that kind of broken way no longer advocate for it. Even the leaders, for the most part, have either uh, stopped advocating for it altogether or they're no longer in leadership. That's very interesting. I didn't know that that had been debunked so strongly. What an interesting journey to go on, that even through your obedience, we often talk about small steps of obedience, your obedience to write that blog post that led to thousands of people seeing it, that led to people wanting to talk to you, that led to you writing a book, and on and on it goes, that God's story was unfolding because of your simple step of yes at the beginning. And I would just like to step back a little bit into your Cambodian friend story and remind people that what we do online is really important because people see and they're seeing Jesus in us and they want to know who Jesus is. So how we engage online is also a great way to reveal God to others. Thomas, we're not that long from ending, but I do want to know a little bit about your family. I, I had no idea that your wife was expecting. So congratulations on number three. Whoop, whoop. Um, what do you do in your family to reveal God? What kind of things do you have in your family rhythm that is ordinary for you to do that maybe our listeners would like to add into their ordinary life too, to help reveal God to their children and their spouses? So every night I read a Bible story, or at least recently I've been reading a Bible story to my daughter uh, from the Action Bible. It's like a comic book Bible, but it's, it's really good, and it really holds her attention. She loves the uh, the artwork of it, and every night she's asking for one more story, one more story. And, so I, and I, that's been good, but I think what's even been better is my wife has this song that's the Lord's Prayer that she sings for them many nights. And my daughter has found that if she asks questions about the song, my wife will answer them and it delays bedtime. A Genius. <laughs> and so my my two-year-old is like, what is kingdom? Right? What is power? Uh, what is what is uh, our father? Which is really challenging for my wife. It's like, you think you understand what kingdom is, but do you understand it enough to explain it to a two-year-old that it makes sense? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, especially in the States. I imagine it's easier for you, uh, those of you in the UK. You actually have a queen, right? You can point to. It's like, well, it's like this, but more. But we don't have anything like that over here. We'll let you and, borrow. You can borrow her. <laughs> you will borrow, yeah. Uh, but but my daughter doesn't have enough context uh, with the Queen of England to understand that. Perhaps she should. But um, that's been really fun. And, and often it's after I've already left the room, she'll go through it and she'll have this story. And, and sometimes she'll be like, here's how I explained it. But I don't know if I explained it very well. You know, what ideas do you have? And just using the Lord's Prayer to uh, present the gospel to my daughter. Sometimes I'm scratching my head too, right? It's like, because it's tricky, right? Taking these complex concepts and explaining them for a two-year-old is tricky. But uh, I think that rhythm of, of doing it every day, right? And her understanding is small because she's small, but hopefully as she grows, her understanding will grow. And I think that's helpful. But ultimately, it's not about technique. I think we, we kid ourselves when we say it's about technique, that, oh, here's some technique that works. Because you don't reproduce what you technique, you reproduce what you are. And this is really scary for me because I'm hearing phrases that I say coming out of my children's mouths, right? And things that I do, I see them replicating. They replicate what I am uh, more than what I tell them to be. And that's really scary. 
because <laughs> I'm not uh, the best person I could be. And I I see good things reproduced, but I also see bad things reproduced. And it it's really challenging because it's one's like, oh, well, you know, this is some area I guess I could work on. But then when you see how it's affecting your family, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is more important. And and so that it takes you back to pruning, right? It takes you back to wanting to prune stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I wish I had the answers there, but that's kind of what God's working on me, right? Like to be the kind of example. You know, there's a thing Paul says in one of the um, epistles. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, that's what we're doing with our children. Hopefully we're saying, follow me as I follow Christ, but we need to be following Christ well. And um, I, d- I don't feel like I'm following Christ well, <laughs> but... Fortunately, he's very gracious and he's very present in our weakness. He is. That's a really helpful thought. We just need to follow Christ and be his example to our kids. And you're right. Our thoughts and our examples are way more powerful than just teaching technique. We need to teach heart and love and all of the things that you just talked about. Thank you. That's really helpful. Before we go, some people who listen to our podcast won't have heard of you before. So I want to give them the opportunity to come find you. If you are an author or a speaker or if you write any kind of things, be songwriters, you need to follow Thomas because I can't tell you how much joy and experience he's given me. I have learned so much from Thomas. He has well over 700 podcasts. There is a lot that you can go and learn. Thomas, tell us where we can find you. So I have two active podcasts. I used to have more, but the printing knocked them out. But I have two left, and those are The Christian Publishing Show, which you can find at christianpublishingshow.com. And that's about learning how to write, learning how to write better, learning how to get published. And then Novel Marketing, which is my other podcast. And it's about growing your influence, which you can do before your book comes out. And then once your book comes out, it's about selling more copies of your book, getting it into more people's hands and marketing principles, that sort of thing. So they, they go hand in hand. If you're earlier on in your career, Christian Publishing Show may be more helpful. But a lot of people like to listen to both. So it's up to you what you would find to be more useful. I would encourage you to listen to both. And Thomas also has a stream, a specific stream, if you're trying to build a website, um, that they can follow that too, right? You have a, a tutorial because you don't build websites for people anymore. You teach them how <laughs> to do it themselves. <laughs> that's right. As part of the pruning process, I created a course <laughs> on how to build a website. It's a free course that you can get at authormedia.com. I just go to courses and the course is free. I just actually made some uh, improvements and upgrades to it in the last couple of weeks and added some new material. And that will walk you through step by step how to build a website if you want to build it yourself but if you already have a website it also walks you through how to make it better and the ultimate way you make it better and i explain it more in the course but it's you make it for your readers not for yourself you see the website as an act of service and blessing for your readers and when you're able to bless your readers with your website that's what causes them to go and tell other people about you and your website and he's a great teacher so if you need help that's where you go Thomas, I'm going to put in the show notes everywhere people can find you, but also I think the song that your wife sings. So maybe you could ask your wife who wrote that song, because I'd love to put that in the show notes for everybody. And I want to say thank you sincerely for all that you do. I have learned so much from you and been encouraged to carry on in days when I felt like I can't write anymore. You've encouraged me. You didn't know it. So thank you for sharing your skills and your teaching ability, but also thank you for sharing your heart so openly. It's been inspiring chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. You've been listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford. My guest today was author, speaker and podcaster Thomas Umstadt Jr. You can connect with him at authormedia.com.
for our show notes, go to 61-things.com. This podcast is a Wise Word Radio 61 Things co-production. We pray that you're encouraged to reveal God in your everyday.